In part two of Jaco Pistoras and the Base of Doom, we learn what happened to the infamous instrument and who and what it took to get it back. And we're live. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Phantom Jukebox. I'm Ty Lindsay. And I'm Joseph Shannon. We are two musicians that dive into the realm of mystery and conspiracies of musicians past. You can find all that on our, in our back catalog on Spotify, Apple Podcast. And if you could, please take the time to rate and review. It really helps us out on the back end. It like pushes us forward in this crazy algorithmy yeah. system, matrixy zeros and ones. Apparently, but uh, yeah, if you give us five stars, it really helps us out and uh, also helps if you give us like, you know, tell us what you think. Be honest. I mean, I would prefer if you were honest. Yeah. Be honest. Be that friend. Be that friend. Tell us what you, you know, what's your favorite episode? We've got like 10 episodes, you know, uh, behind this one. We're trucking. We're trucking. It's really, we're at 11. Man. It's I, 11. I feel like we're getting better. Let us know. Yeah. Let us know. Like, what be honest. Do Are we getting better at this? Yeah. I mean, I go back and listen to the episodes for notes, which is actually something I'm going to talk about here after uh, the socials. Uh, but, um, yeah, we, we, you know, I go back and I've been, I listened to like, especially the Elvis episode and I think yes. we've, we've come a decent way. Like we're getting, getting smoother. Oh yes. I think so. Now you can find us at Twitter, Phantom Jukebox underscore. You find us on Facebook at Phantom Jukebox and Instagram at Phantom Jukebox podcast. Let us know. Yes. Just interact think. with us. You can also interact with the amazing Dakota Galvin who's been handling our social medias. Like a saint. Doing really, really good. Um, uh, and currently, uh, we actually did a little video about this earlier. We are, so we passed at this point in time, uh, we, we, a little while ago, we passed like 500 downloads, which is crazy. Yes. Uh, thank everybody so much for that. Um, but when we were planning like, hey, we should do like a dinner or something, which we actually did that earlier today. A but dinner it, and a thank you video. Yeah, and a real quick thank you video. Uh, we're actually, we're, almost, we're damn near 600 yeah. at this point. And just that short while of planning and, and succeeding. Right, and that's, it's, it, it's so cool. Like, this, this started off as just something uh, I really, really wanted to do. Really, really wanted to make. Yeah. And to see it grow and people, like, really, really having a good time with it, especially. It's just the extra, like, cherry on top that it's just... I'm, I mean, I'm love it so much. You can always hope for it to do well, right. but actually seeing it like do better and better each time. It's yeah. Just, it's, it's grown. Um, I mean, we're not in Hollywood at the moment or anything, but like to speak for, it, for yourself. Yeah. <laughs> you are wearing a colored shirt. Uh, I am. Uh, the first underdressed. time ever when recording the podcast, am I wearing a collared shirt? I feel very underdressed, <laughs> but uh, no, I just, it's going, uh, it's gone it's grown to this point so much faster than I thought I would. I just wanted to thank everybody for tuning in all the other podcasts we've talked to um, that, you know, I've listened to their cool shows and then they've, you know, yeah, talked definitely. to ours, you know, it's, it's really, really cool. We're, we're becoming part of the community and uh, yeah. Dakota is actually a huge, huge part of that. Uh, like helping communicate with all the other bands. So it's, it's love it. I love, it's a pretty good community. It is. I like being a part of it. Very, very, uh, 
kind. It's a very, very yeah. kind, like, you know, everybody helping each other out. Right. Right. Some people will ask questions like, what do you think about this? And then someone will give them like a legit answer, like from like a point of experience. Yeah. And the best part is it's experience that's like not too far beyond yours. So you actually understand it. Yeah. You know, that's really cool. That's nice. So to get on to the episode, this yes. one's so the last episode, um, uh, that's uh you hear the the clicking back there that's uh, Ziggy Smalls, who made a guest appearance in the, our little video earlier, so you should check it out. It should be on Instagram. It's gonna be on Instagram. Get the thumbs up from Dakota. Yes. Hell yeah. You check it out. Our cult leader and uh, uh tech manager. That's gonna be on Twitter as well. <laughs> I'm getting she's signing it. The T is bouncing, which means two. What? Okay, never mind. <laughs> Anyway, so yes, yeah, so my Instagram and Twitter. So check it out, see what we look like, see what we look like, and <laughs> let us know on on that video, like in the comments. Let us know, were you wrong on what we you thought we looked like? Do we look nothing like what you were expecting? Damn near not as handsome. <laughs> <laughs> let us know in the comments just how how disappointed you are. <laughs> Ow! Oh, that's what they look like. Oh, ow. But uh, and so in the last episode, um, there were a lot of numbers, a lot of dates. And so it's a very, very yes. like timeline heavy episode, which there's a little bit in this one. But I wanted this episode to be more discussion based because there's a lot of well, free. Definitely more freeing because um, there's going to be a lot coming up. And I've encouraged and like if you guys feel the same way, like uh, when we get to the end of this, you know, this would be a great one for comments as well. Like, what are your opinions on what's about to happen? So this is really. There's a, there's a lot of ways to look at what's about to happen. Oh. So we're going to track down. So we're answering the question, what happened to the base of doom? Base of doom. Yes. Sounds like another Indiana Jones movie. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so a lot of what's going to, so there's some of it that's speculation. And then there's a point where we do have a lot of like what happened. Cold, hard facts. Cold, hard facts. Best I could find. Um. So also we did talk a lot about mental health and that's going to come up a little bit in this one too. Definitely. Um, so I wanted to throw out um, some, you know, if you know someone for sure that needs help or if you find yourself like in a dark place, you know, Jago unfortunately didn't have as many options uh, to get that kind of help, but we have, we have more options now. Yes. Some more available options. And there's some, uh, one is uh, www.samhsa.gov forward slash uh, help, fi uh, find help, forward slash national helpline, or 1 800 662 help, or that's uh, help is uh, 4357. So 1 800 662 4357, also known as the Treatment Referral Routing Service. You know, and then they've got the suicide hotline, the National Suicide Prevention uh, Lifeline, which is 1-800-273-8255. You know, these are like, you know, a ton of resources. If you need help, please get it. There's, there's no shame in it. There's no shame in, I mean, in mental well-being or if you think that you don't, you know, it's please, please. Even just regular therapy. I mean, for if you think you're all right, I mean. You do yourself There's, a world of good. I can't, I mean, as a person who's benefited from that, like it's yeah. just, just talking to somebody and what it is, is I think we've said it in the last episode, they're just objective. They're on the outside. You know, you go snow blind to your own problems Yeah. and having somebody who's trained to kind of see through a lot of cloud and smoke 
you know, it, it does you such a world of good. And they can honestly like put pieces together that there was no way you're going to do it by yourself. Maybe, mm. you know, so cannot stress, please get the help. Um, some other ones, uh, you've got better help, which is an online one. You can do it from your computer. So if you can't like get, we're not sponsored by the way, none of this is sponsored. This is just, it's just, these are just resources. Human, like, yeah. From one human to another. Get help. Yeah. If so, you need it. Yeah. You got, if you need help, you got, you got some online options, better help, talk space, cerebral. Um, just check it out. Uh, make sure you find somebody that you think is going to help you. Cause you can go through different ones. You know, we got to find the right person for you. And that person's out there to talk to you. So yeah. even if you've tried it before and you don't think it worked, that just probably wasn't the person for you. Yeah. Try again. Yeah. So yeah, you are worth getting help. So no shame, no shame. Please do. So with, with that really, really important PSA, I also want to make a little self-correction that's been bothering me for these past couple of weeks. That oh, I, no. I made an error in the timeline. The information was correct, but the, I got the order wrong. Okay. So I just wanted to total, I, I heard it and we do, you know, we record, this is every two week thing. So I've had to sit with this for like a couple of weeks. So yeah. really my apologies. I, mi- I made a mix up in the notes. Um, so in Jocko did get help in 1982, you know, when we were talking about his concert in Japan and he threw his bass into the bay. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. After that tour, he did get some help and was diagnosed bipolar. Okay. So that did happen. I think I said in 83, he went to Bellevue. That is incorrect. Um, his wife uh, well, ex-wife came down to, uh, went up to, sorry, from Florida to New York to see him. That was in 86. Oh, that was more towards the end of his life in 86. Um, you know, she saw what kind of state he was in. She w- took him to Bellevue, which is a mental health mm. facility. And he actually was doing better. So okay. this, that's in 86, not 83. I kind of, I, you know, I, I've been bummed out that I messed that up especially with Jocko, but yeah, went to Bellevue in 86 towards the end. Um, he spent most of his summer there uh, in the, in the ward. So like several, several months. And then he, you know, started taking medication to balance himself back out again that he needed. Okay. And um, he became like, he, he kind of started coming back to being like a more balanced person, like a, you know, kind of like a, I guess, more functional member of society. Yeah. Um, he kind of did some, he jammed some sessions again. Uh, he was going to try to go back to Florida to see his kids, try to see if he could wow. patch things up with the, uh, his ex. Uh, one of his exes, I, I didn't, didn't, I couldn't specify which one at the time. I believe it. I believe it was Ingrid. I believe it was Ingrid. But, um, of course then, so that's in 86. He, he also, the base of doom gets messed up late 85. He gets the base of doom back in 86. Okay. Uh, plays on one record with it. Like he, he's a jam session guy on one record with it. And then he leaves it allegedly on a park bench and it disappears in 86. Mm. So that's pretty much where we left off with the base of doom. Then we went on forward to unfortunately, uh, him kind of relapsing a little bit and pretty much getting, uh, more or less beaten to death. Yeah. It was a sad story. And he had basically 35, I believe it's 35, wow. 36 is when all that happened. Oh man. 
So the last we left it at is that the base of doom went missing on a park bench in 1986. Yes. So uh, also uh, I didn't want to get this episode rolling too far without uh, reminiscing on uh, Oh no. all day for pants. Oh no. I knew you were going to do that. As soon as you slid that slider up, I was like, I know what he's doing. Yes, it's a, it's a holiday for pants. Just entire album of this. So he did play bass on it, I found out. He just didn't play a lot of bass. <laughs> oh. Not as much as a bass player should be Not playing bass. What do you think a bass player would play on like his big, you know... Uh, instrumental album? Big instrumental album, you would think... Yeah, you would, you would think, but no, no, I didn't. So Ziggy has found something interesting. Get it, girl. Ziggy smiles on Instagram. <laughs> An old cult, lead, cult leader. Yes. All right. So the last we know is we went missing on a park bench in 1986. Yes. So from 1986 to basically it goes missing for somewhat near 20 years. Wow. Um, and they do not know exactly because there's, because it didn't quite look like it did when, how people might recognize it. So like when people, when at the time, you know, when, when you're, when you're thinking of like Drago Pastores, yeah, uh, you're thinking of his bass looking relatively beat up still. Okay. Cause he played, he played the shit out of that thing, but his, uh, guitar tech repaired it. Right. Mm. I was coming to. So you're thinking of this thing being beat up. Uh, if anybody else didn't know who played it, they would wonder like who hit this thing with a hammer. Basically mm. this thing looks there's holes in it. Like, you know, like screw holes in it from changing the bridge and all kinds of stuff. This thing has been played like almost, it's almost as worn in as like Willie Nelson's like trigger guitar. If you've wow. seen that, where it's almost like the wood looks like it's melting almost. Like he played the shit out of that thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're correct. Um, so in in early 86, you know, he sends the bass off to his guitar tech and they, he repairs it to like pristine. The before and after is insane. And I was actually kind of, uh, we had talked about it in the last episode. I was really kind of bummed he fixed it to that point. Like he basically yeah. fixed it to like new, which as a, as a professional Know, guitar tech and uh, luthier. I mean, he did a, it's, it's a phenomenal job. Like from, yeah. Uh, from what we knew in the last episode that they found it in pieces that could fit inside a shoebox. Yes. So for that guy to fix it to a level of it looking like it could come off of a, of a rack, like a tar center. I mean, kudos to that guy. That's insane. On a lot of people, the people I think would have just like scrapped it, you know? Yeah. Um, but I, as a person who like likes to have your, the instruments age with me, yeah, it's, exactly. it's kind of a, it was kind of a bummer. Uh, I would be kind of bummed to see all that experience. Cause it's like, it's the actual sweat and you know, it's the story of the amount of time you've played that instrument. Yeah. 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 That's and what why, it's been through. That's why, um, that's why I hope they never, I don't think he ever will like re- Willie Nelson will ever restore trigger to like factory reset basically i don't yeah. think you can but even like the the frets on trigger if you've seen the documentary behind it are worn down and they're nylon string mm. so he's like 
he they they look awful, and the guitar tech has like begged him to let him change the frets, but Willie won't let him do it. Wow, because he's you know he's just he's so attached to the way that thing sounds. Mm. Really, really cool YouTube documentary, a uh, little two parter on the guy that repaired. He did the repairs in like 2018. He's like gluing extra wood into it, and he's keeping it from collapsing in on itself. Jeez, yeah, really, really cool one on that. But anyway, so back to the base of doom. Um, it's repaired to pristine. It looks great. I don't like the finish he did to it. I will be honest because mm-hmm. the, the original like, um, uh, 62 jazz bass finish had kind of like a tobacco burst on the outside and it faded. to like a wood grain. And then when he repairs it, it kind of looks like, uh, you don't see the wood so much anymore, but maybe that was something he couldn't help in fixing yeah. it, you know, cause he had to replace the whole top. Like it was, it was pretty bad, but it winds up in a small Manhattan guitar shop in 2006. So from 1986, disappeared 20 or 20 ish years. Wow. Shows up again in a small Manhattan guitar shop in 2006. Wow. Right. Mm. So, and it went missing in New York in 86. So it's kind of crazy for it to like maybe not have traveled that far in that kind of time. Yeah. But uh, as we're going to talk about later, like who knows how many people bought this thing? Mm. You know, because a lot of people wouldn't know what it is because it doesn't look like what you think it would look like. Yeah. Just passing it around. Or one guy could have had it the whole time and then decided to sell it two years later or 20 years later. We're going to see. Um, so once it was found at some point, uh, the base tech who, reforged Scalber, basically. Yeah. Uh, his name was Kevin Kaufman. Um, he flew uh, from Florida to New York to like authenticate it because this is like, I mean, Jago Pastorius is like a famous jazz musician and it's like, they can't really tell because again, it doesn't look like what it looked like in all the famous pictures. Yeah. But a guy who spent like 150 plus hours putting the thing back together might know yeah. a thing or two about the instrument. And he was actually able to authenticate it. Wow. So he proved that that is the base. Yes. So he, you know, he saw it and he's like, uh, I think it had to do, especially with like when the headstock broke off, you know, it was in a bunch of different pieces. Um, I think he knew from how it was glued back together because he had to do a lot of custom things to get it to fit right. Mm. Um, Because from the finish, it just looks like a Fender Jazz bass, if you understand what that looks like. Yeah. Uh, But he knew like where it was broken and stuff. Um. But the problem was, though, is that he was just brought in to authenticate it. And because he authenticated it, that is kind of a good thing. And the and kind of winds up being a little bit of a bad thing from what I can tell. Mm. Because now it's not just a jazz bass. It's Jaco Pastorius jazz bass. Yeah. Which adds a lot more value to it. Because a good jazz bass. Ooh, um, let's see. I have a PJ Deluxe, but that's that's a P bass, jazz bass kind of hybrid thing. Uh, mine's not made in America, and I still paid around a thousand ish for it. I got mm-hmm. like I bought it on like a discount, pretty much. I think it would have sold normally eleven hundred, eleven hundred, twelve hundred, something in that range. Not quite. Yeah. Um, but uh, you know, having it be this legendary, you know, that's. And that's in the like 2000, like late 2000s money. So like, let's just, you know, I don't know exactly what that would translate there, but um, 
and this is one of our first topics to like kind of open topics to see what you think. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, and maybe, you know, maybe it doesn't really matter, but the owner of the shop refused to just return it to the Pastoris family. Mm. See what you, um, yeah. And they were, you know, they were upset about this and they took him to court, the shop owner to court, which this whole thing went on about two years. Mm. So what are your thoughts on that? I have um, some opinions. Yeah, it's kind of 50 50. I mean, I can see both points as in like, yeah, you should. It's their base. I don't, and he left it on a park bench. So essentially, even though he died later, that was still technically kind of stolen. You know what I mean? Yeah, but I mean. But it wasn't the shop owner who stole it. They took it from the park bench. There's no proof of that. Like, there's no proof that, like. And also, I don't think a guitar shop owner would. There's no really, like, I I really tried. I tried to look up the court. Um, Yeah. I tried to look at the court documents, at least to my research level at this point. I wasn't able to find those. Like, who won? Um, Well, I do know how. How it ended. How it ended, and that is going to be another big uh, point of discussion. Because that's a big, like, even more of a. I don't know, but okay. So I also understand from the, the clerk perspective that if I had, yeah, yeah. The guitar shop owner, I understand that like, if I ended up just someone brought in a bass and I was like, that looks a lot like Jacob stories bass. I'm going to get that authenticated. And it turns out it's, it is. Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, no matter what happened, it somehow ended in his store and he bought it from someone else. Right. I mean, I, I don't assume like, um, they did like, I couldn't like, again, I couldn't, they just say a Manhattan small guitar shop owner. And that is definitely for a liable situation <laughs> because if they said Harry Bob's, uh, guitar stop, Shen, you know, didn't allow blah, blah, blah. That would just ruin his business. Yeah. There's no way they're going to say exactly who it was, but. Um, there's no yeah, guitar center employee wouldn't yeah. sell. Yeah. 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 So there's no indications whatsoever that this guy was the one who took it off the park bench. Um, but for all intents and purposes, he may, you know, he may have just bought it and it was in his store. Like it's not, it's not his fault. It went missing. Exactly. And he doesn't owe the family that base, especially when we talk about its theoretical price tag. Oh, yes. So it's not like this was some eight, nine, eleven hundred, even two thousand dollar situation. This is theoretically a five digit number. Wow. To get this thing back. And it was va- I, the the person put the value. Um, uh, I don't know if they were able to see this is another thing I wish I could find. And you know, I'm getting better at research, but I can't I couldn't find this of like when it was authenticated. And I saw a couple of different people like play it. Um, it wasn't Marcus Miller, but it was another famous jazz bass player played it and he liked it mm. and he thought it was, but then they actually had, you know, Kaufman come in and like verify that it is what it was. Oh, so what I'm wondering then is like, do you know how long it stayed in the shop before it was then verified? They didn't have that. 
Mm. All they say is it went missing and somebody found it in the guitar shop, right? You know, in 2006. Okay. So it could have been sitting in that guitar shop. I severely doubt it sat in that guitar shop for 20 years. Yeah, no. A Fender jazz bass is one of the most popular basses of all time. Even if you forget names, uh, forget, you know, prestige and all that. Fender jazz bass, one of the most versatile basses of all time. Yeah. I've recorded just about all of our other world stuff uh, with a jazz bass. And it sounds good. And it sounds, it's punchy. It cuts through them. If you like that sound. Especially like you switch out the pickups and you can really like do any genre with that. It's just, really? it is very versatile. Yeah. Honestly, if you get like a, a jazz, I mean, uh, I would throw humbuckers in it. No. But um, if you throw like some hot uh, jazz pickups in it and then, you know, I don't, you keep that one relatively like, you know, clean. You can throw the grid on later and that thing will, it'll growl for days if you want it to. And that's actually what it got, you know, base of doom is because this thing growled. Mm. I found out too, uh, real quick for my bass nerds out there. Uh, the way he would, he got the sound he got was one by rolling off the, uh, so he played basically just the, the bridge pickup. So almost completely yeah. rolled off the neck pickup. And then he played really, really far back on the bridge almost resting his thumb on the bridge at points like wow. really really close which is really really difficult to do because that's the most tense part i i yeah. tend to like drift up and down depending what part i'm playing if i want more of a boomy sound i'll play more towards the neck and if i want a tighter sound i'll play more towards you know tinny sound i'll play more towards the back mm. uh but no that's those are like the two really really big key elements and then of course the fretless and then playing the kind of like a lot of staccato type stuff it was Wow. Really, really cool how he got his tone. Like, it puts you really, really close, actually. I was, I was trying it out, and I was like, this is not quite, but no, I'm not Jocko, but this kind of sounds like it. Yeah. Pretty cool. Bass nerd tangent for you. <laughs> um, so uh, I, I'm, I'm saving the actual price because there's a special, very, very unlikely person who gets involved with recovering the bass. Hmm. Uh, some people know already, but if you're not familiar with the story, so the family is in at war, like legal war with this guitar shop owner for like two years, damn near to the point of bankruptcy. I mean, I would have just sold it to him for like a lower price, you know, See, but he doesn't owe them that. I don't think he, I'm playing devil's advocate on this one. Yeah. I, I don't think he owed them anything. I it's, it sucks. Yeah. It really sucks, but he bought that bass from somebody that, yeah. I mean, from somebody that probably stole it. Um, and when you break it down to its bare, bare elements, uh, there's two, there's two series of thought that happened with that bass uh, and how it wound up missing. So it's on a park bench. Why is it on a park bench? Two schools of thought. One uh, Jago just left it there for a couple seconds and either he loved playing basketball. So either maybe he was playing basketball in the background. Huh. Um, it, that's just, it's, it's speculatory. Like he was doing something like he put the base down on a park bench and went to go do something and came back and it was gone. Like something allegedly within the proximity of the base. And like, as he says in like a quote, like I was gone for like two seconds because he called somebody who's really upset about it. Yeah. That's one thing. Um, Two, and the sadder prospect is that he sold it for drugs. Yeah. So, uh, based on 
personally, I don't, nobody wants it to be the second option. Nobody does. I mean, he already was kind of like, uh, we go over like mostly in like the first episode, he was kind of, I mean, when he wasn't balanced and he was, you know, off of his medication that he desperately needed to be on, he was kind of a nightmare person. Yeah. Let's be real. Like he, you know, allegedly, uh, pretty much the, the Miami or Fort Lauderdale police like knew who this guy was like, wow, he caused problems. Um, hate to think that of somebody who's a, who's a musical genius, but you know, it, that's just kind of what happened to him. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I don't, I don't think he would have sold it for drugs though, personally. Because that was like the last thing he held on to, on to no matter what. Yeah. And I mean, at the end of the day, like that's as a musician and when wanting to stay as just a musician and not do anything else, like to make money. Yeah. That was, he made money with it. Yeah. When he was, yeah, he would eventually. And I just, there's like a lot of the stories I would read is like, he would be wearing like, you know, in 86 again, like, uh, uh, when he, when his, uh, ex-wife like found him up there in new york like he was walking around like the base was under one arm and like whatever else he owned was in the other and he was just wearing like just nasty clothes walking around like but he still had that with him like there i think because he was so musically gifted or like so in tuned with like music and stuff he would have had some way of creating it or at least subconsciously like this is how i make those things you know those sounds huh um I I think he would have I I think it got stolen. I want to think it got stolen. Yeah. Um I'm hoping it got stolen. You know, I don't want to I don't want to think he sold it for drugs. Yeah. Um but uh I I think that was the case cuz he did like a uh not to repeat it too many times, but I I think that would have been would have been the last thing he would have sold. Yeah. And definitely. He, he was at that point st- coming he was getting slightly better at that point you know a little bit yeah so if he made it through the worst yeah and still had it then i don't think he's gonna sell it towards the end no i think uh i mean he was he was pretty devastated when it was destroyed I mean, he broke it but yeah. he was pretty devastated and really ecstatic to have it back so i, I don't think he would have um like he was in the stories I read, he was very excited to have it back and recorded with it like immediately, like put strings on it, tuned it, and then was almost out the door with it to record. Wow. Very excited to have it back. So, uh, so the back to, back to the story, the Pesaurus family's fighting with this guitar shop owner. I don't, one way or another, Jocko loses the bass. I guess all of that yeah. to get to one way or another, Jocko, it's his fault. The bass went missing. Some piece of crap took it from him. Yeah, but it, he is just like got to keep an eye on that stuff. You don't leave valuables on a park bench. Yeah. So, um, so they 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 try to like get it from the guitar shop owner, uh, and then, uh, who else would it be than one of like the probably the most now well known bass players of all time, Robert Trujillo gets involved. Oh wow. Metallica. Jeez. So he was a huge Jocko fan, I believe, even to the point where he saw him live. Um, oh, wow. You know, back in, you know, the, I believe you said the 80s. There's a really, really great story. Well, it depends on your opinion by the end of this. 
there's a really, really, uh, I'll just say interesting story of how, how him getting it. Like it's in like, um, I think it's in guitar world. Actually, there's a couple articles on it of how he got involved with it. Hmm. But you know, he, you know, this thing makes like the news and stuff and he hears about it and he does something really cool, but I don't, I will see what you think. He, okay. So he steps in, uh, and gets the bass. Like he basically squares up with the guitar shop owner, uh, and pays an undisclosed price for it. I looked everywhere, could not find it. I think because it was a settlement that stays private. Okay. I believe that's how that works. I am no legal aficionado. Yeah. Um, so from all the stories I read, he steps in and basically, you know, squares up with the shop owner. Allegedly, and this is, this is allegedly, this is just me reading around and trying to figure out what the number would be. And a super high, but yet believable number to me uh, that I found was $60,000. Wow. That's the one I saw. I mean, I've heard of like, um, I think when it, Jimi Hendrix guitars or something like that went for like 200,000 somewhere or something like yeah. that. Um, ooh, what's his name? Um, David Gilmore's uh, guitar, the one he used on the one he used like the whole, like a long time he sold for like cherry. And I think it was, it was a six digit number. I think. Wow. It's pretty crazy. Like this, this thing's got a lot of history to it. And, and I, I 60,000 to me is pretty believable. I mean, Sadly, that's things, a car. That's a nice car. Yeah. Well, 2022, it's a car. <laughs> yeah. 2022, that's <laughs> yeah, just It used to be a nice car. So the family, and this is kind of like going back, like reiterating, kind of like now that we know this, let's kind of like reapproach this, some of the stuff we talked about. So the family didn't have the $60,000, right? Okay. The guitar shop owner doesn't owe them anything. Um, like I said, there's no reason he would have stole it. And I, I don't, I don't know. I don't think, um, I think the store owner still had the right. And then basically Trujillo shows up and buys the base. And I think that, and that kind of like settles it just like this base is just worth that much. Yeah. I mean, if you want to, I don't know if it's like, it's a correct, just, uh, kind of like metaphor for it, but what about like stuff in a museum? Like how much is some of that worth? And then yeah. that belonged to somebody at some point. And not all of it was gained by honest means. Are you able to like just walk up in a museum and be like, hey, I want to buy that. How much? I severely doubt it. Unless it's a private collection and somebody like. Yeah. Um, you know what I mean? Like some like famous. But I mean pieces. like the hard rock, you know, just walking down the hard rock. You see a bunch of like signed guitars and signed like suits. And I severely doubt. Yeah. I don't think I mean. I know some artists like donate to the hard rock mm. and they have, and they'll like hold it for a while, I guess, until they want it back. I'm not sure how that works. Huh. Uh, Cause I know, yeah, I guess like David Bowie's guitar from Ziggy Stardust days, like that teardrop one or something like that. Yeah. Um, a lot of Prince guitars, stuff like that. Yeah. Personally, like, I don't know. I don't think I would do that. Not that, you know, I'm at a point where I have that option. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or, you know, Hard Rock's not asking me to, you know, bring put one of the bases up, but it's just like, I, you know, knock on wood here, I don't intend 
on owning enough instruments that I can just let one of them go to uh, the hard rock in a casino for a while. You know? Yeah. I mean, it, I think, and especially from the museum standpoint, it would be more of like a, uh, like after I pass, if the band is big enough and I'm that much of an influential guitar player that, you know, maybe my family will like donate one of my guitars to the, to the museum if they request it. If it is a request. Uh, but yeah, I don't, I'd rather, I mean, one, I don't like, I don't really care for the casino scene uh, much myself. Yeah. But um, uh, just any like rock and roll history museum, like any museum, any museum would be cool. Yeah. Um, I, but some of that stuff makes me sad. Yeah. Um, some of it, like if it's like really, really old, um, for example, uh, like a, some handmade Stradivarius situation. Oh yeah. Um, actually I would want to do an episode on him. Um, uh, the guitar, the violin maker. He actually made a couple of guitars though. Huh? Uh, if it's something like that, that needs to be handled with like white gloves, um, yeah. in a in an air controlled room with like only the best people ever like being around it because those are those are centuries old, and in, and amazing that they still even play. You know what I mean? Um, but I mean, if we're talking like a a cool guitar, like guitars get better with age. Like the wood gets harder. Um, just like everything gets worked in. Like you know. Believe it or not, like when you play a guitar a lot, like you are taking wood off the neck of the guitar. Yeah. And just over years and years and years is how you shape it basically to your hands. You're essentially sanding it to your specific hand. Profile, yeah. Which I think is amazing. And, you know, a guitar that's been played for 20 years, like feels different. Like you said, the, the phrase is like broken in, you know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, like, you know, the kinks worn out, even if it's a mastercraft instrument. You know, having somebody like love it and play it for, you know, 20 years, like you really get to, you really feel a difference. Yeah, definitely. And how it plays. Um, So it's kind of, it's kind of sad to me to see an instrument of such age and prestige um, taken out of, you know, you know, being put in a box and never played again. Yeah. It's sad to me. It's like retiring the instrument. And and I have I have bases that I'm not going to play in the road anymore. I've, I mean, I've been playing I've been playing for 16 years, mm. uh, which is not you know a career, but uh, I do have a base. I've played a lot, and it's one I got with my grandparents in Tennessee. It means the world to me. Um, it's a, I think it's a BTB. I believe it's a 450. It's not quite the high end, not quite yeah. the low end, but I I've played it to the point where I've got a chunk of wood missing where I put my thumbs and like my fingernails and hit the wood like. I love that thing. And if anything were to happen to it, I'd be devastated. Yeah. So I do not play it on the road anymore. Uh, that would like, but that one, I still use it to record with sometimes if I need the extended neck, you know? Oh, so I believe you can semi retire it and play it at home and it still gets like the love that they need. Yeah. Um, but like to see like, um, I don't know, talking about the David Gilmore, like the, the incredible artistry, you know, that just kind of resonates like the things this guitar made. Yeah. You know, it's just sad that like to imagine it sitting in a glass cage and everyone's too scared to touch it. And I was like, the reason it looks like that is because he loved to play it. It wants to be played. It's made to be played. Yeah. You know, but like, especially when it's that influential of a yeah. bassist, like who do you let play after? Well, <laughs> I do have an answer. Okay. 
for who gets to play Jaco Pastora's bass. Segway is my middle name. Yes. Very, 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 very good segue, <laughs> sir. Uh, so, officially, Trujillo owns the bass. Okay. Officially. Because he paid the undisclosed price. It's allegedly $60,000. Allegedly. It's just a big number, and he hasn't said what it is either. Because, also allegedly, Trujillo's lawyers, uh, he has offered exclusively for the family to buy it back from him. Uh, otherwise, it's in his collection. Mm. Basically, the only people that he will sell it to is the Pistorius family if they pay the price that he paid for it. Oh, wow. That's one of the stories I read. That's one of the stories I read. Okay. Your thoughts? It's the same thing with like the, the, uh, you know, guitar store owner. I mean, he bought it. He paid a lot of money for it. He paid, but I mean, he's a great bass player as well. I think he's wasted Metallica to be real, but he is still better than your average. No, 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 no. He is wasted in Metallica. Oh, okay. I thought he is an incredible bass player. (laughs) But if you see his stuff in like uh, from his suicide tenant, suicidal tendency days. Oh man. uh, And then he was in infectious grooves. I think he was also in, not sure. Huh? I didn't know that. I I think so. I think so. Uh, But he is a funk bass player. Yeah. He is an incredible bass player. One of the few people to uh, play. um, Oh, what's the intro? It's the intro to um, for whom the bell tolls the way Cliff played it. Yeah. With fingers, which is something like in the um, uh, looking for a new bass player, Metallica documentary, which is pretty entertaining. Oh, they talk about that too. It's like, uh, Lars is like talking about how like, you know, Cliff was like one of the only, you know, Cliff played it with my fingers. And it's the, it's just like triplet that like nobody got right except for Trujillo. Who's a super bass nerd. And like followed like, cause Trujillo, like he's in suicidal tendencies. He was a session guy for Ozzy. Uh, Rob Zombie, all kinds of bands. Dang. I didn't know that. Yeah. He was a session. If you look, there's some videos where you see, uh, uh, early, I think it's early 2000s. I forget exactly when he joined Metallica. Um, but uh, da, 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 da. if you watch like some old like Black Label Society videos, uh, Trujillo's got a vest on and he's in the background. You're like, that's Robert Trujillo. Wow. Yeah, I know he played for a lot of people and he's really, really good. Um, not the big, and his, so again, his suicidal tendencies based tone, jaw dropping. It's so good. He's mm-hmm. so good. There's this like uh I think it's a um I'm nerding out too much here for bass stuff, but uh there's a bass line, I gotta find it. It's not violent and funky, but there's one where it's just a, a four note chromatic and then you go to the next string, move up a half fret, and then do it like there. And it's just that's the bass line. And he's playing it and he just has such a groove to it. And it's and it's like eighth notes, but it's like He's progressing in eighth notes, but he's playing 16th note. Mm. So it's like, da, 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 da. And it's, and he's, and it has, uh, it's so good. So good. He's on uh send me your money. Uh, suicide Tennessee song, which I have a personal, mm. personal affection for. Cause it's about televangelists. 
<laughs> we'll take your grandma's gold teeth if it's got gold in it. It's so good. I highly recommend that song. It's so funny. But bring it bringing it back to yes, yes. That sir. is definitely a bass player that would put Monster some love back into it. And, you know, and somebody who truly like loved Jocko. So I think it is justified for him to be like, yeah, this bass is important to me too. Right. Like I'm almost kind of wondering if the family of Jocko's story would is wanting it so they can sell it. I severely doubt that. I don't think they would resell it um, because I am not sure about some of the other members of the Pistorius family, but uh, Felix Pistorius, I believe. Um, oh, is it the Yellow Jackets? I think it's called the Yellow because the Wallflowers is a uh, um, who's his name's son, um, Bob Dylan's sons from the Wallflowers. Actually, a pretty good band. Uh, I think it's the Yellow Jackets that Felix Pistorius is in, and Felix huh. is a pretty good bass player. Okay. He's, a, he's like a jazz fusion guy. I'm not very familiar with the things he's made, but I, I've seen clips of him play and he's pretty good. Okay. He's, got, he's got his own style. Like he's not, what's cool about Felix is like, he's definitely taking notes from, he's taking notes from Jocko. Like anybody would take notes from a master. It's not just like, Oh, I have to play like dad played. Like he's just good. Yeah. And he's just studied like anybody would study Jocko's music. Um, so I severely doubt that they would just turn around and resell it. Okay. So that's off the board. Um, but still, what a better bass player to have that bass then. Someone who admired Jacob's story and would put love back into it and has a skill to do so. Right. So, and that is actually one of the points I bring up later on, uh, of something in my notes that I wanted to play like devil's advocate with because it kind of sucks that because like if the family couldn't buy it from the guitar shop owner, for 60 grand. Let's just call it 60 grand. Again, yeah. hypothetical. You know, if they couldn't buy it for 60 grand, but he buys it for 60 grand and then offers only to them, like they're the only ones who would be able to buy it. Um, you know, it's not for sale to anybody else but them for 60K. Um, but until then, it's in his personal collection. I, I mean, there's there's good things with that. I think um a couple plus, I was like, I was like, what are the pluses to this? Because to me, I was like, it kind of sucks. And initially, when I first read that, I was like, oh, like I thought that uh, Robert just like, you know, Robert, like I know, him. I thought uh, Trujillo bought it uh, just because he loved the family and like, you know, turns it in. You know, he's like, mm. here you go. But I was like, sixty thousand dollars. I don't know if I would just hand that over either. Yeah, that's a, that's an investment. Even being a member of Metallica. Well, well, I think one of the original reasons I brought up the interview is like he walked on for $2 million. Yeah. He's like, they, you're, you're, you're signing money is a million dollars. And then he got like a percentage of like all, all things Metallica, which let's be honest, like their merch sales are legendary. Yeah. They set the standard for how you sell merch. Man. They really but, do. I don't like Metallica, but I mean, you got, you got, you got to admit game like the Beatles. You got to admit game. Yeah. It's incredible. But I mean, that's, that's the thing. Even if you have that much money, that's sixty thousand. It's sixty thousand dollars. That's why you're not just going to hand it over. Like yeah. it's not. A, it's not a. <laughs> you don't buy that just to look good in the tabloids. Yeah. So. Yeah. So. But so let's look at the positives for this. So he takes it off the market. It's in one location and it's not going on anywhere unless they can buy it. Mm. Uh, the pluses are it's in a very rich person's personal collection. 
Not in a garage. Not in a garage. So, I mean, Trujillo, like, has, I'm sure, dedicated, like, they say, I mean, sure he has dedicated warehouses for uh, his guitars. I know Metallica certainly does. Yeah. Um, which I think is what I, that's, I never thought I'd say it, but it's way too many instruments to have a good, to have a warehouse. Yeah. Maybe like a, uh, little via a villa a little bit. Like I mean, the only, uh, the only person, the only two people I can imagine having enough equipment to justify that is like, if somebody owns like a, just, just megaton of cabs, drum equipment or like synthesizers or dragon force. Yeah. Or Slipknot. They just keep adding guitar it's, players. It's where they keep all like all the, of them only get one, but they need a warehouse to store it all. They just keep. <laughs> oh, I'm gonna drop that one there. <laughs> I'm not gonna leave that one alone. Anyway, so it's in, but in from everything I've read, this one is definitely in his personal safe. Yeah. So that's not. It's like in a safe, like in his house. It's not in a garage. It's not in. A, yeah. It's not in a warehouse. Which would be air con- air conditioned, I'm sure, but uh, this one's in a safe, mm. so that's a plus. And you know, um, because a he's a, he's a world class bass player, b he's super wealthy, and then c he's gonna have techs that go through that thing on a regular basis to make sure it's in the best condition that it could ever be in. But how, what do you think is like the cutoff for him to put a uh, bass in that safe in his house? You know, like what other bases might be in there? Yeah. I mean, like, is the limit 50K? Anything below that? This is no, my, that goes in this the This is my 500,000, sorry, 50,001 dollars. <laughs> yeah. Anything past 50K. Oh, only 49K? That goes to the warehouse. So I've got uh, Jacob Pastore's base in that. Oh, how many do I have in there? Okay, so I've got Jacob Pastore's base, and there's only three slots big enough for this base. So big enough for the in the safe. So there's one with Jacob Pastore's base, uh, a second base made from the cross Jesus was crucified on, and then uh, <laughs> another uh, uh, mixed with acrylic and uh, the Presley remains. I got a third one made out of a substance called Sad Presley. <laughs> so yeah, so it's like an acrylic guitar with his Elvis's ashes. <laughs> That's so messed up. <laughs> Just like epoxy, <laughs> just yeah, this is epoxy and just horribly. Ew. <laughs> I don't like to mix it up. Oh, yeah, get those low notes. Oh, oh, all right. Um, all it plays right. in a minor key, <sighs> it leaks sometimes. <laughs> God, I gotta say, it leaks. <sighs> So his son Felix plays for a band. Uh, Jacob Pastore's son Felix plays for a band called the Yellow Jackets. I was right. And what kind of gave me some, not that it's my place to have comfort to it or discomfort to it. Again, we're all on the outside here. We don't know exactly what happens. Yeah. Um, but from interviews I've read that Felix does speak very highly of Trujillo because uh, I believe he's known officially as like the steward of the, uh, Trujillo is known as the steward of the base. So it's kind of like a, 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 he owns it, he maintains it, but apparently the family has access to it at times. Oh, so. Well, that's better then. They don't say how often, but apparently like, you know, if they're like, hey, I want to use that for a thing, Trujillo lets them have it. Okay. I mean, I guess if he's, uh, yeah, he just lets him use it. 
that'd probably be like the only people too. Oh yeah, the only the only pe- uh, yeah, I guess the only people that would be able to buy it would also be able to like mess with it, you know? Yeah. And I don't know. I, the other day I looked again for to see if there's any like ears and theirs to that agreement. I didn't find anything. Um, from what I can tell, it seems to be a pretty like kosher. Uh, it's mine, but you can mess with it kind of thing. Like I get how important this is to you. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Cause I mean, and it still costs me $60,000 in relativity, like at guitar center, there was a, a guitar signed by slash like worth 10 K. Yeah. And it's up. You can't reach it and don't ask. Cause you're not going to play it. Like, unless you're wanting to, like, why you're going to you? buy it. But like, why would you though? Like, that's one of the things like, it, in very few situations, I think signed guitars are really, really cool because um, it's like, cool, you signed this guitar. Now I have to baby it forever. Yeah. Because, <laughs> like, either, I mean, some people don't hit it with, like, clear coat afterwards. Yeah. So the, the, like, marker they use to, like, you know, on top of, like, a guitar. A friend of mine, uh, <laughs> sadly, a friend of mine got his, like, I mean, it wasn't a great guitar, but it's a guitar he had. He got it signed by the members of Disturbed. Wow. Because that was one of his favorite bands, and he still played the guitar, and he wore the signatures. <laughs> well, yeah. I was like, dude, are you going to put some clear coat on that, or at least some clear tape? At least? No. Where did you have him sign? Oh, on the underside of the neck. <laughs> Just the place you slide your hand around most. Oh, God. It would be better if he at least got it signed on, like, the headstock or behind the headstock. Or- yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It was it was bad because I he brought the guitar like I didn't he brought the guitar to like a jam session. I was looking at it and I was like it was just like some squire thing. It was just it was yeah. just a guitar he had though, and I was just looking at it and I was like, it was a black guitar with like that really really high gloss finish and silver mm. marker, and you could tell where it would have said like whatever the guy's last name was, like Draymond. <laughs> yeah, but it just said Aim. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> oh, oh no, and I was like, that's kind of metal, but really sad at the same time. Oh, where'd they sign it? Oh, right where my belt buckle hits. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no, it's a set. I mean, at least it wasn't like, I don't know. It wasn't signed by like Cliff Burton or something. Yeah. I mean, Disturb is amazing. And honestly, but once this are good, if, if they were, once they pass eventually, that, that's probably going to go up in value a lot, but no, the, the signatures are gone. Yeah. From what I remember, they are just gone. <laughs> oh, man. It's it's sad. Ooh. All right. So, so to kind of wrap up that section, um, you know, like in the, in the comments, kind of what are your thoughts on that? I mean, I'd love to hear all your opinions. Like, do you like it? Do you not like it? Do you think it's like kind of yeah. messed up? Do you think it's, I don't know. There, there's plus and minuses, but honestly, if you look at it like hardcore realistically, I think it's probably in the best place it could be. Yeah, because it's the the I don't I can't speak to the Pistorias estate or their like, you know, I'm not going to I don't know how wealthy they are. It's not my business to know, but I'm assuming it's not Robert Trujillo. Yeah, you know, um, and just that it's something that important, um, an instrument that important with such significance to it, like it probably belongs in a yeah. safe that he could afford. And he's cool enough to let you mess with it. Because Trujillo has played the bass live. Really? He has played it live. Oh, I'd like to see a video of that. Um, yeah, there's a, uh, if I get a chance, I might try to, um, ooh, I don't know, it's Metallica. 
don't know. We might get copyrighted yeah. for that one. Yeah. But there's a there's a there's a video. I'll I'll, I'll try to like uh, link it to everything. Uh, that that he does play it live, and it, it's tough because fretless basses are hard to play live. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a very um, I'm trying to remember the guy's name. He's a bass player for Testament right now. Who basically uh, all he plays is like fretless. It's, oh wow! It's got a different tone to it. He's a he's a he's originally he was a he was in Death. Uh, Steve DiGiorgio, and I think that's how you say his name. Uh, incredible bass player, but he plays all fingerstyle fretless. Mm. He's a death metal bass player. Wow, fingerstyle fretless. I didn't expect those two to go together, but okay. Uh, yes, actually, I will try to look up one of those songs. Um, not not a song you would think he would play on, but he's actually like a big jazz guy too. Huh. Which doesn't doesn't surprise me. He's pretty incredible, yeah. but. Um, so, so, I mean, I think we're like, he, the base is in the best situation it can be yeah. in right now. If you look at it from realistic, standpoint. especially if what you said is true and he does let them like, Oh, okay. You know, Felix wants to come and, you know, like record a song with it, what have you. And he lets them do that. Then yeah, I am completely on his side. Yeah. Yeah. I think overall it's it's going to be in the best place that it can be. I'm I'm trying to find they can't afford the family can't afford the care that he can provide. Yeah, I mean well, the, one of the cool things too about that um about that base is it doesn't it's in really really great uh great condition. So it doesn't need as much care as it might have used to. Like yeah, before it broke into a million pieces. Yeah, cuz I mean I'm I'm sure nowadays they like they're putting on like because he played round wound strings on a fretless, which is kind of a no no. Mm. He liked that tone, which is really I mean it does he does make a more rounded tone, and fretless basses have like a warmer midier tone. But you gotta play flat wounds; it reduces because the round wounds just have like a little bit of an edge to them. Yeah, and it chews into the it'll chew into the wood because you don't have like you don't have the frets to kind of separate the the strings from the fretboard. So yeah. it's, it, the fret is making full contact, especially if you have the, the, the uh, uh, up and down vibrato technique. A lot of people do are bend notes up. You're really chewing oh. that wood. And um, one of the things that Kaufman had to fix with that, like he did kind of like level out the, it was kind yeah. of basically you call it scalloping. And I mean, anyone who plays bass eventually gets the grip strength of a Python. Yes, dude, especially fretless. Like the double bass people we're talking about earlier could just, I imagine they could just crush a can of like a skull with dirt or something. Yeah. Unopen a can, just, you know, (laughs) like I said, I tried to play a double bass, like big one, and it was cool, but I got rid of it. Like I I didn't, Mm. I wasn't, I was on the table to buy it, and then I just gave it back to the dude. I was like, it's not that, it's not $300, which is cheap for one of those. Yeah. Like it's not $300. Cool this for i wanted to talk a little bit now about uh jocko's mental state ah yes kind of to cover that um because we we talked about what happened to him but there's uh, there's some really cool things that um uh especially his like, psychiatrist said about what he was going through and i think as a and i think this might it might help because like some people might be worried about um uh you know, like, oh, I guess, like, to make art, you have to be sad kind of thing. You know, it's, did he suffer because of his art? Was he a genius and did it drive mm. him mad? This guy says something really, really cool that I think will will help with some of that. So okay. to begin, he just kind of, like, his psychiatrist, Kenneth Alper, 
I believe that's a A L P E R. I think that's how you say his name. Uh, had this is what he had to say about Jocko's condition. He said his illness was probably genetic, and it was and it usually surfaces in males when stress increases between the ages of twenty five to thirty five. This really flared up when when he was thirty one, and this was right around the time he was going through like a really really bad divorce. Oh, so he already kind of did stuff that was like hey, it's kind of like interesting that he would do something like that. They they would say in his in his younger years, I mean, he referred to himself as the greatest bass player in the world, and then he would kind of do something like outlandish. Mm. Um, but yeah, they, they said like, you know, the, the stress of like all that, especially like, you know, with all the albums, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. It just really, you know, you know, the, the kindling to the fire, basically the fire of the pants. <laughs> Such a terrible, terrible album. Um, his illness was characterized by grandiose behavior, behavior alternating from extreme depression and each mood lasting for a week or more. So um, some of the things they said, like uh, there are seven, sim- seven symptoms to manic depression, uh, feverish activity, talk, uh, talk, tif- uh, talkativeness, sorry, uh, flights of fancy, uh, inflated self-esteem, decreased need for sleep, diminished attention span, uh, each involvement, uh, excessive involvement in destructive activities such as drug taking, drinking, and attempting dangerous physical feats. Oh. Um, Throughout his life, Jocko exhibited every single one of those. There's almost an, there's an example for everything I just listed. Wow, in his life. The uh, the what are feats of fancy? No idea what that means. Um, I don't have an exact definition on flights. Flights of flights fancy. of fancy. Let's see what the because um, except for the fact that you just listed it on like a symptoms list, it sounds fun. I just have no idea what Flights of Fancy. Flights of Fancy. That's a good album name. Or band name, honestly. Uh, so real quick definition for you. It's an idea that shows great imagination, but is very unlikely to be true or practical. That so is maybe like a crazy story. That is such a psychedelic rock band name. That does you want to be in a band called Flights of Fancy? <laughs> I am so down for that. Lights of fancy, but can we spell it PH? <laughs> but two PHs. Two PHLI. <laughs> Lights of Lights fancy. Of- <laughs> oh. But anyway, yeah, there's yes. there's definitely um I mean, obviously with like the the eventually taking drugs and stuff like that, even is like the best bass player in the world, because that's a that's a statement. Mm. That's not a, that's not your average everyday thing to say about yourself. That's a statement, you know, and maybe it wasn't even that bad at the time, but you know, he definitely got like really erratic and like, you know, throwing things into bays and painting his face, you know, like, like black war paints and stuff like that. Like it, then in some of his later videos, it's weird. Cause I would see, you know, I've, I've been watching mm-hmm. a lot of videos and now I can kind of tell what era they're from. Cause there's one oh. where he's dressed in like a, almost like a poncho looking thing. Um, I forget what they're called, but it's a very colorful hat. I believe it's like an African kind of hat. Um, it doesn't have a bill or anything. It's just kind of like a, a sort of fits like a beanie. Oh, I don't remember what they're called. Um, but it's it's a hat. I I believe that's where the, the origins are because it's very 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 colorful. He's wearing that and just kind of like this like Clint Eastwood poncho thing with like oh, a belt okay. around it. And I was like, is he is he 
what is he doing? Because <laughs> he's in like I don't know if this is the one where he's in Japan, but he's just he's not he's he's touring like that. Like I've seen some flamboyant outfits before, but I don't I don't know what's going on. Is that within the realm of possibility, like Otherworld and Phantom Jukebox ponchos? Ponchos, maybe. That'd uh, be pretty cool. I I I wear get some ponchos. But like, I would so wear a poncho live as long as yeah. Yeah. Otherworld poncho. Or, oh, it'd be so hot. It'd be so hot. Well, I that's the only thing I'd be wearing. Oh, no. <laughs> Rich, the people standing on the sides of the stage are going to be very, very good. <laughs> All the stage text just, just, oh, God. <laughs> His legs are so muscular. And what? And pale. So pale. This is a really dark venue, but I need sunglasses. <laughs> it's, like a, it's like a bounce, just like the sides of your glowing. <laughs> <laughs> but um so the, the the basically just had textbook you know bipolar disorder and then like manic depressive Jaco like he just he would kind of like get sporadic help but he wouldn't it wouldn't like stick like he wouldn't yeah really dig into it like he should have like he should have stayed you know taking his medication because every time he took it he you know he'd balance out mm. at least for short periods of time before he would like I think he didn't like the way some of it made him feel. And then he would, he would stay off of it because he, he would think he's doing better. And then I heard about this cycle where like you take medicine to the point where you think you're doing better. So you th- don't think you need to take it anymore. And then like you will, pro- you know, you progressively get like kind of worse and worse. So then you're not even thinking about taking the medicine anymore. And you kind of like, it's kind yeah. of like a self-destructive cycle. Like you really got to stay on, like you really got to stay on your P's and Q's. Yeah. So, but I think there's, there's something really, really cool that, uh, Alper said, his psychiatrist, and I think will kind of like help talk about like help people and worried about like all artists are sad, you know, like, I, you know, I guess depression is my art and that kind of thing, you know, like, it's, yeah, the muse of it. Yeah. Like if, uh, if you're, if you're worried that like, you know, I guess I'm just going to go crazy cause I'm really good at something, you know, um, crazy is not a good word for this particular topic i apologize for using that but like you know what i mean like it's you know it's uh, i'm just i'm doomed to self-destruction basically really really cool thing this guy said was and and this is a quote an artist must live in the real world from which he derives his art a manic depressive lives in an inward uh lives an inward looking life in which he is unable to distinguish fantasy from reality the more jocko lost touch with the real world the more his art suffered rather than the other way around So kind of in short, he's saying Jocko's art did not drive him mad, but his madness drove him from his art. Huh. But that was really, really cool thing to say. Like, yeah, he was just good on his own. And because I don't know, he's, I don't know, because it wasn't addressed, you know, it, we get, I mean, I, I'm, I'm kind of half kidding, but I'm not, we get holiday for pans. Yeah. I mean, like we get, you know, come on, come over from, Early years again. Uh, highly recommend that song. It's incredible. Like that album. Did the Jacobus store is like solo album. Yeah. Or his self published. Uh, I got a better chance to like go through uh, most of it. Great. Come on, come over. Obviously, is my favorite. It's like it's it's the gateway into Jocko. Let's be real. Yeah. But I mean, and then um, 
to get a holiday for pants. And then we were both like, we're both laughing at it, like in the right context. Yeah. But it's, it really, it, 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 it shit. Yeah, it is. Uh, a base, a world-class bass player who doesn't play bass and makes steel pan music. I, but um, I, again, we, I wanted to kind of reiterate, like you need to take your mental health seriously. Yeah. So, and also like, you know, if you're, and we're talking about like art and stuff. If you, if you're not taking care of yourself mentally, you're also not like a hundred percent in your creation either. Yeah. So that's kind of what he was saying. Like, I mean, let's think of this like a sports injury. Like, let's say you mess up your, I don't know, you're playing football or something and you mess up like your knee and you don't take care of it. Like you don't, you know, let it rest. You don't, get a professional to look at it. You don't do what they tell you to do. You don't do the rehab. Um, you think you're good. You go back in way too early and then you play and you make it worse. Mm. You know, you're not playing at a hundred percent cause you're already yeah. at kind of a handicap. Yeah. You know, your knees at 80%. So you, there's no way you can be at a hundred percent. Yeah. So this is an example. And just think of that like your brain, your brain is think of it like any, any dark thoughts or like, you know, any like negative state of mind you're, you're really kind of like floating in right now is can I treat it like a mental injury? You know, it needs special care. It needs nurturing. It needs a professional and it needs time to heal. That's one thing um, I needed help with. And then I know some other people just, it, it doesn't, uh, a coworker I used to have said something really cool to me about a physical injury he had. Mm. And he's like, you know, I really messed up my back at my old job and had to get another one. And I go to my doctor and my doctor told me, uh, you know, cause I was complaining that I wasn't getting better fast. And he's like, no injury that occurred over, over a long period of time heals in a short period of time. Mm. So the time that it took to do the damage is going to take to heal almost. Wow. Yeah. So you got to give same it same mentally, same mentally. You got to give it the proper amount of time to get better and you owe it to yourself. Exactly. And I mean, just as how there's no shame in seeking help, there's also no shame on taking the medication and staying on it. No, like, absolutely not. I know some people are kind of like, you know, self-conscious a little bit about like, oh, well, you know, I'm on meds and that's so like a, almost like a hushed topic. It's like, you don't tell people how, what kind of medication you're on, but that's, it's fine. It's, yeah. it's not something to look down on the it's helping. Why wouldn't you be like happy about something that makes you better? Right. And I, I get it. You know, nobody wants to be, nobody wants to be on anything that you know they don't think they, they need, or I mean, if they haven't taken it their whole life and suddenly it's just a thing that changed and stuff like that. Like, um, I had some health stuff that changed on me and yeah. I didn't like, I didn't like the news I heard and keep the rest of it to myself, but like, uh, not to get into these specifics, but like, I didn't like the news. I did yeah. not like the news and I thought it was going to be this like life changing thing. And it's, it's kind of, I've kind of gotten used to it. Like it's not, um, mm. it's not, it's not as big of a deal, I guess, as when you initially get the news. Yeah. Like I was really like, I was really, really bummed about it. Well, uh, the big one, I guess, no big one's not that bad. It's blood pressure stuff. Like my blood pressure is like through the roof. It's a family thing. Mm. Um, yeah, no, I was really bummed to find out I was going to take medication for it. Um, for a while until like it comes down and uh, I'm doing what I need to, to get it to come down. But uh, it's, it's like now at this point, it's just like taking vitamins in the morning. Yeah. My case is also not like crazy. So let's like, it's kind of like a, 
a mild, I guess you could say, because I know there's so many other worse situations, but yeah, from my personal experience, like, um, you get, you adapt, you will adapt. I promise. Yeah. So, and it just, it does, it just does a world of good. Take yourself seriously. Take your mental health seriously. Long story short. So, um, any other last closing thoughts on that? Oh, no, I think we're good. I think we, I think we covered that one pretty well. Um, I wanted to end positive. So okay. we're getting, we're close. We're coming to the, the closer for part two of this. And, um, I want to talk about what some, some really, let's end positive. I mean, we, we, there's some disappointing truths, especially for me on this episode, on these past two episodes, learning about Jocko. Cause when I walked in, I told you, it showed you the first clip uh, of him playing, you know, soloing yeah. uh, in the first episode. And that's like one of my first introductions to him. Excuse me. And I was blown away and it got me back into playing bass. And it was really disappointing to, um, uh, really disappointing to find out some of the truths. Yeah. And that's just, it's just act of the matter. A lot of it, like, um, he wasn't really in control of, and some of it, not an excuse for all of mm. it, but some of it was kind of beyond uh, his control with how drastic his swings were. Yeah. But he still did a lot. And I think at the end, it sounded like he was, he was trying to get better. Okay. Yeah. What, I, what, what I could see, uh, and like his later interviews, and I encourage you to find, um, I'll try to link up, especially some of the articles that I found, um, that talk about him in general. Uh, but uh, there's one especially like that goes for pages and pages and goes super in depth about his uh, his life and all way up until uh, his end. I think it was a stacks.com article. I'll, I'll link it. But it it goes all the way through it in excruciating detail. And like, you know, I had to do two parts on this because there was so mm. much information. I still had to take stuff out. Wow. And and I did. I tried to like just go like the. I try, I mean, I had to keep it to some of the checkpoints, but, uh, there's, there's cool, like interpersonal stuff, especially in his younger years. That would be cool to learn yeah. if you like him. But, um, he still did some really great stuff for music. So I wanted to talk about a little bit about that. Uh, in my opinion, just like, again, he brought me back into playing bass. That, that clip really, like I was at my, my dad's house at the time I was on YouTube. I think it was dial up YouTube. At the point we had like oh, wow. landline was awful. Um, and it took me like 15 minutes for that video to download. And then I just listened to it. And then I was blown away by what this guy was doing. Yeah. Um, my first, my actual very first bass was, I think I said in the last episode was made by a family friend who made a bass like that one. It was set wow. Up, it was set up horribly yeah <laughs> it was, yeah uh it was the neck was warping and all this other stuff it had some like water damage because it was in a warehouse and stuff but my first base was called i called it wonder boy because <laughs> actually the neck had broken off and he glued it back together like there's, there's some cool parallels with this thing yeah and he took the frets out manually and did all this stuff i have the original neck at my dad's place wow uh but the neck was it's it was kind of like unusable because of, of, of how bad it was warping yeah but i had i did have to take it off um, I might actually, there's a base my brother has. I might be able to put that neck on it. Huh? Maybe we'll see if the neck could be reused, but I might be bringing that neck back. We'll see. We'll see. At the <laughs> time it was warped beyond belief, but it might've settled by now because okay. it, it would naturally like would want to straighten itself back out. And this thing was bowed pretty bad. So sitting without strings for a while might've helped it out. We'll see. But, um, 
yeah, I just like, you know, for me, like I was, when I first started playing bass, I was just kind of like, oh, I'm gonna, what am I going to, what am I going to do? Follow the guitar around for my whole life. Like this is boring. And then you see this guy doing harmonics and chords and scale runs and all like tapping, yeah. very, very limited tapping, but he did all kinds of stuff. So that brought me back into it. And not to mention all the people he inspired, uh, all the professional musicians he's inspired, uh, the likes of which are Victor Wooten, who is just Victor Wooten. Like, mm. he's in his own genre by himself. <laughs> he's, he, I can't, like, just, like, steady listen to. It's kind of like Steve Vai. He's almost like an explorer of music rather than he's just a musician. Yeah. Because he can do wondrous things with the instrument. It's just like sometimes it's too much to take in one sitting. Yeah. So you just kind of have to keep coming back to it. Like an album worth of Victor Wooten is just a lot for my brain to process. Yeah. Not because it's bad, just because there's a lot going on and I'm not quite at the level where I can appreciate it all the way through. Yet. <laughs> uh, my personal favorite, TM Stevens, who's a session guy. Oh. Uh, uh, he, basically, he's either just T.M. Stevens. He was in, uh, I believe, a band called Shaka Zulu. Um, he's played on Steve Vai's, uh, is it Sex and Sex, Passion and Warfare or Passion and Warfare? One of those? I'm not sure. Uh, it's the one where Devin Townsend did vocals on. Mm. But he's got Devin Townsend and he's got T.M. Stevens playing bass. Um, it's, it's, an, it's pretty cool. Like, it's one of the more Steve by projects that I like quite a bit. Okay. I like Devin Townsend quite a bit. He's a character. Yeah. But TM Stevens, just look him up if you're a bass player. Uh his like his Japanese bass instructional video, I have watched it through about 12 times. Huh. Yes, he's incredible. I can't recommend him enough. Flea, legendary. Yeah. Everybody knows Flea. And of course, Robert Trujillo. You got jazz people, funk people, and metal people just in that lineup. Yeah. of people I'm talking about. He's, his influence is genre spanning of what? Mm. And it's not like, I mean, you don't have to just be a jazz person. Like, if you don't really like jazz, just watch him play to like learn what he did. Like, all yeah. the pentatonic stuff he did. It's insane. There's a lot you can learn from other genres to bring into whatever genre you're in currently. Yeah, as much as I love metal, I love metal. Mm -hmm. the, la the least thing, sorry, the, the genre I study the least is metal. Yeah. As far as bass playing yeah. goes. Because let's be real. Not saying there's not good metal bass players, but traditionally there's not really, really great metal bass parts. Yeah. In prog music, that's starting to change. Um, I'm not a big fan of some of the mixing because it's kind of subby. You know yeah. I mean? Yeah, it is. But um, the great, great bass lines are in funk, uh, jazz, I mean, jazz, uh, alternative metal there's there's some cool ones in alternative metal alternative rock um classic rock's got soul some. soul for sure blue uh, blues back and forth D depends on the blues yeah it really goes either from like wow that's some amazing baseline stuff bing boom bing boom yeah <laughs> it's like it's it's kind of a 50 50 situation it's like a it's a 12 bar situation or it's like oh the feeling that's a gospel ba gospel based jazz uh bass is incredible yeah yeah, that might be where that crosses the line. Like gospel bass is is so fun. It's I, it moves you. I used to help uh, our church like play guitar sometimes on on the worship team. Yeah, and there was this there, these times where we would share the stage with the Latina church that would come in. Right, 
the Latin church and man, their pastor was a bass player. Nice. A Latin bass bass player. And so boy, could he play them strings? Dude, it's, I love gospel bass. Like I, I, I every now and then catch myself like just doing the drive to some gospel music. It really like, it really is just got some uplifting stuff. Like even if, even if religion is not your thing, I would check out a song or two just for the, the, the liking the music of it. I'm sure yeah. there's just some instrumentals out there. Um, but it, 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 it's a lot of major stuff. It's bouncy. It's just, it just, yeah, it, it puts energy. In I'm you. a big fan of Santana and like what oh, yeah. he did for bringing like that Latin feel to, uh, like rock. Dude, I Santana mean, made rock sexy. Yeah. That, that's a great way to put it. Honestly, <laughs> Dude, like Santana made rock sexy. I, that's how, yeah. I defy anyone to put on smooth and not be like, yeah, I'm getting it on. I mean, that's, it's so good. It's so good. Yeah. Everything about that song, like the, it's one of the best, like modern day, well, I guess not modern anymore. Cause we're old now. Yeah. That song's almost 20 years old. Really? Yeah. I think it came out in the early 2000s. Oh. Right? I think it came out in the early 2000s. It's, it's weird thinking the early 2000s is 20 years ago. <laughs> yeah, it is. It hurts. It hurts. But uh, the guitar line just, ah, it's so yeah. good. Uh, so he received two Grammy uh, nominations. I don't believe, I'm not sure if he actually won them, but it's kind of like some things I want to throw in. Um, he got two Grammy nominations. Uh, Finn, uh, to the point, and also like the base of Doom, going back to that, became such a legendary thing that uh, in the mid 80s and like 99, uh, Fender had the Jaco Pistorius jazz bass, like a, a direct kind of. Oh, wow. And it was super easy to do because the bass he played, other than the frets being removed, was a standard 62 uh, jazz bass. Yeah. From so what they, I could tell, standard pickups. From what I could tell, there's nothing. I think he might have changed the bridge at one point, but it is pretty stock. Wow. It is stock. I think actually, I don't think you changed the bridge. There's holes in it it might've had a cover on it because sometimes they have this like horseshoe cover yeah. on the bridge yeah, or like the, the inverse, like pickup kind of situation, the cover. Yeah. It might've had that, but I don't, the most he might've done to it is change the bridge. I didn't read anything about the different tuners or anything like that. It was just, so it's just Fender re-releasing one of their bases <laughs> with a slightly different burst on it. Did they make it uh fretless? Uh, they had, I think they, I believe they had both versions. They oh. had a fretless and a not. I've seen them. Actually, there's some more modern ones I've seen. Uh, I believe they're Squires, um, which is like, that's a great bass. Squires basses are good, are really, really good. Not sponsored, by the way. Just yeah. not sponsored by Fender either, but I wish. That would be awesome. Call me. <laughs> call call <laughs> me. We're both Fender dudes. Please. I beg of you. Yeah, I've got. I've got some ideas. We could talk. There's a lot of basses I like, but I keep coming back to that, that, that Fender Maple. I promise I'm not sponsored. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be talking about it a lot more if I was. Um, yeah. So like a they in his artist series, like it takes a lot to release a bass that has like a unique feature on it, just in yeah. general. Because like a uh, when you do like from what I know of when you do artist series, like one of the first ones you usually I notice that people will pick is kind of one that already kind of exists. So yeah. it's like so-and-so's Fender jazz bass. But for them to go right off the bat and take the frets off 
and uh, you know release that right off the bat i think is a pretty significant of like well this is what it takes to make this sound like jocko and that's kind of a big it's kind of a big commitment yeah because it's it's from a person who's played fretless basses before it's it's different everything you play is slightly shifted because you have to play on the frets not in between them yeah because the actual frets are the notes which is why hearing that bass player in the clip you played it's like when he does fast notes like that you have to be precise yeah no you really do like it's your intonation goes through the roof. Like it, your violin players, that's the same thing they do. And they don't even have fret markers. Wow. Cause Jocko's bass, like where you put the fake wood putty or whatever in, mm-hmm. it had these slightly lighter lines of where the actual frets were. Yeah. Uh, it used to be. So that was kind of his guide. Like he'd still had those throughout, you know, that was still on there. Um, uh, violinist, like it's just fretless from the go. So there's no cuts in the wood. Yeah, and they might have dots on the side, maybe they're also tuned to fifths, which is mind-boggling to me. But, mm. um, yeah. So it's it's a it's a it's a fretless is a different animal. Yeah, it's really like it teaches you a lot. Like it, you learn to respect proper hand placement when you do it. Wow, because you will know when you're flat. Usually you're flat. I think. Mm. Uh, uh, any closing thoughts? Wow, that was cool. Yeah, that's pretty much. Pretty much sums up um, the base of doom part two. Uh, really quick, wanted to iterate. Um, you know, for the for the last time, definitely mental health is very very important. Some of those options that we have, if you need the help, or if you find yourself like in a dark place, you've got www.samhsa.gov forward slash find help forward slash national helpline. That should get you really close. I, I, there's a lot of dashes in there, but that should get you close what you need. Or you got 1-800-662-4357. That's their hotline. Um, And if you, if you're in a real, real dark place, you've got the national suicide prevention lifeline, uh, 1-800-273-8255. Please, if you need it, do it. No shame. No shame. You're worth it. You know, please get help from a professional. From a professional. From a professional. Your friends don't count. Your Yes. Your friends can tell you to call a professional. That's about where their advice should end. Yeah. If you need their help, have them help you call a professional. 100%. They might have good advice for like lunch and movies and hobbies. Yeah. They are not a trained professional. And even if they are, you want somebody objective. Yeah. A, a third party that's not been in it. Yes. Because some people have friends that are psychiatrists. Psychologist, but yeah. but you mean they have friends? Psychiatrists have friends too. They, they do. It might be mind trigger. They're people too. It might be some kind of weird mind magic, but they've got it. <laughs> but uh, no, you you definitely want to find an impartial party, but definitely get it. Please do. Please get it. Definitely. Um. So, real quick, uh, if you enjoyed what you've heard, uh, this was the, the, you know got kind of heavy towards the end. But sometimes these do. I wanted. I want. I like to keep a balance of of the shows to kind of keep everybody on their toes a little bit. Like we had the Illuminati before we started this two parter, and I promise the next one I'm gonna. We got some got some fun ones we're kind of toying with. Mm. Um, and if it works out, might have a special guest. Oh, we might have a special guest for the. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me, I brought it up before. Um, it involves bones. Mm. So we'll see. We'll see. If if that one pans out, but I'm also we are going to try to have a special guest on, 
very a very good friend. Ah, I do like special guests. Yeah, it'd be our first guest, and we can do it now because we have the board. The board. The board. The board and the shotgun microphone. Yes, he will be using the shotgun microphone. Yes, the one that I used to use before I'm using this beauty right here. Yes. Um, for those of you, actually, a little quick PSA. For those of you who are going to get the Rodecaster Pro, that's what we're recording on right now. Fantastic. I love it. We're not sponsored. Really cool. Yes, really, not really sponsored. Cool. But it is awesome. It is really cool, uh, all the stuff we can do with it and the opportunities it allows us. So, I mean, for example, I mean, you're doing great, Joe. Thank you. Thank you. It's a, it's, it's a fantastic episode. Oh, I'm, I'm loving it. Yes. But anyway, so, so, many, so many opportunities with this board. I had to. And there are these big shiny buttons. I had to press them a bit. Yeah. Um, so lots of opportunities and really cool to start having some guests. I don't think we'll do it all the time, but in this next particular episode, um, if it, if it all works out, it's right up our guests speed. And I think yes. we'll have some fun things to say with us. Yes. And we'll add laugh tracks to everything serious. He tries to say, <laughs> well, next episode, hopefully I think we're going to take a break we're, I wanted to do, like I said, a significant person of note uh we'll do a wacky one uh maybe a not so serious one and then we'll we might drop another uh significant person okay okay um yeah we, we're gonna keep shuffling it's not gonna i be- do i do i will say and let us know um but i i do prefer the uh my favorite or the like conspiracy heavy oh yeah me you too. know me too just ridiculous there's no way you know uh shit on the stairs <laughs> kind of kind of material oh yeah no there will we'll have those this this next one hopefully is not so much conspiracy as it is just a ridiculous story that's good too um but we will like as we find the conspiracy ones I like to throw them in but I like a good mix i do like a, good I like mix. a healthy mix it keeps everything balanced and doesn't get too much of one thing um but actually for those who are going to get the roadcaster pro again not sponsored absolutely love this thing but if you want to multi-track record, make sure you go to their website and find a specific driver that you need. Mm. I'm not going to harp on that too much, but I spent too much. I spent a long time trying to get that to work. Yeah. Um, but we're here now and it's awesome. So just go to their website. You'll find it. I had a very slightly angry old man in a video finally tell me how to do it. <laughs> But anyway, if you like the show and you like what you heard, you can check us out on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Again, please rate and review. We would prefer five stars, but be honest. What'd you think? Be honest. And honestly, give us five stars. And honestly, give us five stars. So what, what did you think? And honestly, for this prompt, more on like a, a serious note, like how do you think the how do situation's been handled so far? Do you do you like that Trujillo has it? Do you, I mean, do you think the family deserves the base? I mean, there's no right or wrong answer because it's already it's it's played out but a lot of this uh what happens before uh Trujillo buys it is all speculation ah so uh you know it goes to court and stuff like that but I mean like in the in the missing 20 years and stuff there's a lot that could have happened so yeah what do you what are your thoughts do you think uh do you think they should have gotten the base outright do you think the shop owner like doesn't really owe them anything there's a lot of ways to look at it there is a lot of ideas. Yes. A lot of different things that could have happened. Yes. Let us know on, you can find us on Twitter, Phantom Jukebox underscore, Facebook, Phantom Jukebox, and Instagram, Phantom Jukebox Podcasts. Yes. 
let us know what type of podcast you like to do as well. Because whether you like the more factual, just an interesting person with interesting life, or you more like the the true crime kind of thing we did with the helter skelter scenario. There's a decent amount of true crime. Uh, I do want to do. I I, I do, do like do more that. Of those. that yeah. was a little, was a little, as dark as it was. It was a lot of fun. That well, it also not. It wasn't just true crime. It was the fact that. That is so unbelievably ridiculous. Oh, Just the, the, everything. The Helder Skelter. There's like, so much to think about, laugh about, make fun of when it comes to Helter, Scare, Helter Skelter scenario shitting on the stairs. <laughs> golden rope. Golden rope. Leather thong. There's so much <laughs> to take away from that. Orange. <laughs> uh, yeah, highly. Yeah, check out check out that we had to do three parts on it. There's so much information we had to break that into three parts. Ah, uh, but it is honestly like one of my favorites now. I, that it, is, there's a lot of golden moments. This one, it's one of the best. I think one of our best runs. Um, so I want to do a couple of quick, uh, quick thank yous. Uh, Kenny Grooms, the actual audio wizard, yes, for doing his uh, amazing voodoo to our theme song. Absolutely love it. Every time I hear it, hopefully he'll, we'll see a little bit more of his work. If we can get maybe some outros, other kind of music to have in the background. Oh, it's coming. Uh, there is a lot we, we have planned with uh, thanks again to the roadcaster pro situation. Again, not sponsored. Um, we have a lot of opportunities now. We, we, our goal is to keep evolving the show into the better versions to be the best it can be for, you guys out there that are willing to give us your time to listen. We want to make it worth your time to listen. Like, yes, definitely. By putting our all into it. Uh, and somebody puts her all into an incredible amount of social media work is Dakota Galvin. So Dakota has done so much work. We're fantastic job at this particular time. We're approaching, we're, or past 700, uh, I, I believe, uh, followers on Twitter. Yes. And she's done, you know, really cool things with the community, like, like reaching out to some other like podcasts, other podcasts, reaching out to us, talking back and forth. Um, this is it's like again, we talked about earlier, just such a cool community. Really, really glad to mm -hmm. be a part of it. Um, and really excited to see where things are going to go because I I want to do live shows, live streams, so many things. Oh, so there's so many, many plans. Uh, I can say we have a website on the way. Oh. Uh, we have a website on the way. We have shirt designs on the way. Um, uh, not they're not quite ready to go up yet, but they're gonna go up uh, soon. So it's in the works. It's very much in the works. That we're seeing proofs of it. Uh, Dakota's also been putting a lot of time into the website. It's looking great. It's it's so it's a fun, website's fun. It's yeah. really really fun what she's done to it. I'm excited to see it. Okay, launch. nice. Um, uh, we have, uh, if you are on our Instagram, you'd see our first shirt design and I've got the second one, which is more of a logo shirt ready to go. Okay. So it's going to be, ah, I can't wait. And we got eventually patches. That's a recent thing we found out about. Yeah. Right, we got to wrap this episode up because I think we've been gawking a little bit, but anyway, yeah, definitely. So definitely. thank you so much for listening. We really like nearing 600 downloads is mind blowing. This is, it's so, so cool to see it happen. And it's all because of you guys like listening and sharing and having a good time with it. And again, we just want to make it the, we want to grow this thing as big as it can get. Yeah. Like really, really excited to do so. 
And thank you again. Thank you guys so much. Like the more you guys are listening and following us on everything, that's it's just pushing us harder to create more content and get you guys what you want to hear. Yes. 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 So, you know, even bigger things for next episode. Can't wait. Uh, really excited. And uh, stay tuned. Stay tuned. More coming your way soon. Ne- till next time. Till next. Yeah, we should do that. It should be our closer. Like, <laughs> till next time. Till next time. <laughs>